everybody and uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you're watching this or if you're listening to this on one of the many different podcast uh, applications, thank you for, for joining us. If you do want to subscribe and, and become a regular listener, please do. We are here for a new episode of TNT ESQ. I'm here with my co-host, Teresa Quinlan. Hello, everybody. Together, we make up TNT. We are here to explode the status quo. The series is all about talking with people who are helping us to think differently so that we can start doing differently. Today, I'm very excited to announce that our guest is Renata Porter. She is a leadership trainer, a consultant, a coach. Her passion is helping organizations build connected leaders, fully engaged people that enjoy their place of work, know their value, they bring and have the desire to exceed all expectations. Renata's programs and training accomplishes the end result of a connected leader by focusing on inclusion, transparency, inspiration, and leadership through action. Welcome, Renata. We're so grateful to have you joining us today. Thank you. Well, that was a great intro. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so look, we, we always like to kick off with a, an opening question. Uh, we talk about your your obsession, your passion. So the question for you is, um, you're obsessed with building leaders that are more connected. Right. Literally, you become an entrepreneur in order to be able to make this your focus and your impact. Tell us a bit about the story behind how this came to be for you. Over the last few years, I've worked for several different organizations where I would say that quality management and leadership was lacking. You know, I went from one organization where one individual where I worked under a manager that was a micromanager and would shout everybody down, even to the point to where the senior leaders were scared to death of her and wouldn't do anything about her. I worked for an organization to where I would consider I was middle management, the next level up, but not senior management. Their, the competition was so heavy that it, they were always stressed about their role and their job which caused a lot of backstabbing, you know, side deals, private whisper conversations. And it just, it was just a, it was a weird environment. And even to my last one where far maybe a couple individuals to where the senior leadership team were embarrassing. I don't know any other word to put it, embarrassing and frustrating as, as a, you know, as a middle manager to work under. A year into that last role as a director, I decided that I wanted to go out on my own and start working with new managers and mainly focus on middle managers. It's because, you know, I've always considered myself to be successful throughout all my roles. And it didn't matter if I was, you know, my entry role or even all the way up to my last director role. Now, I'm not saying I was a perfect director or project manager, or program manager, because I wasn't. In my director role, there's a lot of things that I should have known that I was learning on my feet. And I made a lot of mistakes, but I considered myself successful because my team was successful and they came together and there was a dramatic change that I like, I consider that I was a big part of in how they operated and how they worked. So that's just something that I wanted to bring out to other managers because, you know, let's face it, training is woefully inadequate. How people are hired and promoted into management 
positions really needs to shift and change. I wanted that to be my focus. I wanted to really work with those middle managers and help them accumulate those connection skills so when they work their way up the ladder and they become that next CEO or or coup or whatever role that they get to, that they are crushing the human side of their of them as a leader, or as a manager, and everything else just kind of falls into place. I'm sure our audience listening is going to go, yep, 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 experienced a mm-hmm. lot of that kind of toxic leadership behavior in their own environments as well. We're yep. fully aware that this sure. is what is absolutely going on. We're also fully aware that there are people who are spectacular in their job as leaders. Absolutely. Too. We just want to cultivate more of that is really what Absolutely. So you mentioned something interesting is that the level of stress that a lot of leaders are under is oftentimes what can contribute to that sort of toxic behavior because then what ends up happening is they sacrifice the relationships in order to achieve the goals. Yeah. So I'm curious to hear how you go about, you know, the, the style of connected leaders, how you go about helping these people to harness their stress management superpowers. Well, I think there's, there's a couple things. I think, First of all, I don't think people trust themselves enough and their guts and believing in their own values. And I don't think that people work through the behaviors that they want to support those values. And I think people are so focused on what they should be doing, what everybody else is saying. And I don't think we have great role models to learn from. And I think that's, that's, you know, I kind of lump that in that training area. Until you're able to really understand yourself and be secure in yourself as a manager, even if you're making mistakes or learning on the job, I think you're always going to have that stress level. And then when you have your own management team or your own manager, that's like putting that constant pressure on top of you, you just, you aren't going to be able to survive. So I think the biggest place to start focusing is on you as a manager, as a leader, what type of person that you want to be. Tim Story has a really good quote, and I'm probably going to screw this up. Work your land and you'll receive an abundance. Plant your seeds and water them, water being repetition. And I think working your land is focusing, you know, narrow your focus, focus on you and your team and how to do the best job that you can for your team and everything else will kind of fall in place, you know, focus on you and everything else will kind of fall in place. And I think, you know, that stress level thing until you can get it down for yourself, what you want to be and how you want to behave as a leader, it's just, you're going to be drug into that. I was drug into that in my last role. And that was what I was saying. You know, I made some mistakes and that was a big one because I'm not normally a, um, a person that can be drug into the BS and I was deeply and I, my behavior was horrible. So just go back to what you were saying originally, there are lots of things to touch back on there, but, um, you, you were talking about a toxic environment. Just to play devil's advocate here, uh, is it a toxic environment or is it the fact that these people have had a lack of learning? They don't know what they're supposed to do, so they often find themselves imitating what they've learned before. Or, you know, not learned, but as they've been experienced before. Yeah. And that's why, for me and you, I think the emerging leaders or the middle management is the most critical part of the leadership ladder to target. Lots of these people have been promoted because they are expert in X, Y, and Z, but none of those things are actually management, leadership, development of teams, empowerment of teams. That's why these people are the most needy and also have the most to gain and the most to benefit from from the kind of work that you and I do with with leaders. So 
can you talk to us a bit about how you go into a company? You, you come to my company, I've got a problem with my middle management. I need you to come in and give them a total 360 review. Give me an idea of you know, what you do when you go into the organization. You know, it's a delicate balance because a lot of times um, when you go in, the problems are the people that hire you. And a lot of times they're fully aware of it but they have no desire to do anything about it or they're blissfully unaware and it's the manager's problem. So what I'll do is I'll really try to focus on that manager. I think a lot of the problems are the training and all they have are the examples around them, the people that came before them, right? Mm -hmm. So I think when I come in, I talk to them about, listen, I'm going to get I'm going to get right with this manager on what are your values, right? And then I challenge those values. And I think, you know, just like a company does their vision and their value statements, you know, what they don't do is they don't go to that next step, which are the behaviors. So really challenging. Okay. What do you mean when you say integrity is one of your values? What are the behaviors, you know, and this is not about behaviors that everybody else is going to do. No, if it's good for the gander, it's good for the goose. So you have to be able to actually model those behaviors. And sometimes you have to lead the way because it takes a while for people to follow. So, you know, when you say you have integrity, are you going to take ownership of your mistakes and correct them? Or are you going to blame someone else? You know, so we really work through what behaviors get going and, and hold up those values. And then we talk about okay, modeling them. How do you bring them up? How do you make sure that trust first is part of your mantra in your meetings and your statements and your behaviors and all that kind of stuff. So I start there. And then I really get into, I hate saying relationship skills because they're, their connection skills. Relationship skills have been around forever, right? That's, that's nothing new. But what is new is that not only do we have multicultural environments and teams, we have multi-generational teams. And I don't want to get caught up in the millennial and the wise and whatever. It's not even that. It's the fact that as you age, you have different experiences, different relationships, you have different needs and wants and desires. And I think if you can't learn as a leader to make the mental shift to working with each person as an individual while still working to a team goal, that is where people struggle. And that's where I say connection and that's where I say relationships. Because sometimes you're going to be on your toes constantly and you need to be okay with that. And you need to be okay with connecting on a level maybe you've never done before. You know, I just did that article on empathy and how it's not a weakness, right? And, mm -hmm. and I don't think it is. And I think it, it lends a lot to a team. And I think you also touched about the hiring practices. I would love to get into that if we have time to do that, because I think businesses cut themselves off at the knees in the way that they promote and hire people. I don't think they look at the right things. So let's go there in a second. What yeah. I wanted to be able to maybe draw a line from with your connection skills, that's a mm. great way to look at it, is a leader needs to have the ability to connect from me to the individual, right. individuals on my team to each other, and us as a whole to the organization. So I need multiple connection skills as a leader. Yeah. It isn't just about me to you and do I understand what you need and then I help you accomplish those things or I help remove barriers for you in order for that to happen. I really need to, I need to be able to look at the big picture. Middle mm -hmm. management now becomes visible for me as why you focus on those types of leaders within an organization because of how they sometimes manage up and they manage down and they have this unique sort of 
pinch position in an organization. And oftentimes they're managing to their peers as well because they don't know what they're doing and all they have is the same examples or they may have previous experiences that are really poor that they believe are, are great and that's how they're, you know, they're mimicking those behaviors. So you're right. I think there's connections on so many different levels and it can be really overwhelming, especially when you're asking someone to make that, that shift to connecting on the human level, right? feel like it's overwhelming and it's too much. There's, I don't have time to learn every individual, but what they don't understand is, yeah, it might be overwhelming at first, but if you put the right practices in place, you build a team that doesn't have to come to you for every little thing. They support each other. See somebody sitting at their desk toiling, they're going to go over and help them instead of sitting there with the blinders on. So when you build your personal connection, your team starts to model that and they build their own connections with each other. Trust happens, transparency happens. All those things start to build that team to where you get to step back and actually do what you need to do. I mean, God forbid, as a leader, you actually get to look forward and project instead of constantly always looking at your feet and today and micromanaging. And I think that's where people get lost. They don't make that investment. I guess it's just like entrepreneurship. You got to make that hard investment up front for things to start clicking and, and taking place. I think a lot of the old connection skills or relationship management skills are all really focused on the manager getting what they want. And it doesn't include all employees and it doesn't in include those in your charge, you know, and I think that's a big gap. Probably the worst leadership strategies is using your people to propel yourself forward. Yeah. It's so against the flow for the last while, especially as we hear around servant leadership and coach leadership and transformative leadership. And it's all of these really loving styles of leadership it needs to be a deep toolkit of skills that a leader has to have. So there Absolutely. are moments when I need to be directive and yeah. I need to be diplomatic and I need to be servant and I need to be coach. Yeah, we've brought this up before is that you can't stick to one style. You may have a preference or a tendency towards style based on your personality, based on your values, based on your vision as a leader. However, you really need to read the job description. Right. Just touched on something about how managers leading in a way that propels them forward. And I think that is a direct result to how companies hire and promote. In addition to managers and leaders start taking on that human approach or however you want to being connected. I think companies absolutely have to shift in how they think and hire for their leaders and their managers. Well, yeah, you're preaching to the choir here, but our yeah. audience is probably going to love this part too. It, it's okay to have one where all these people are going, but until the company actually shifts in how they view these people. So, you know, I mean, a lot of times I would get passed over on leadership. They didn't care how many people I led successfully, how many projects were under budget and delivered on time. They don't care about any the fact that I could, you know, really deliver strong teams. They don't care about the soft stuff. They want to know that I have the technical capability that I have, you know, I was in IT, so I have these certifications. Well, I'm the least technical leader in IT probably in the history of ever, right? So <laughs> of course I was passed over because in the job description, you have to have this and you have to have this and you have to have this. And there's nothing about leadership in there. So until they change that, they're going to keep getting what they're getting. A traditional management idea is they spend half their time looking back at what has happened and why it happened. And then they spend the rest of the time looking forward about how they can change things and how things need to be altered. 
So it doesn't leave any time for actually sitting in the moment and seeing what's exactly around you in the present. So you're forever looking back or you're looking forward, but you're not looking around just exactly where you are, who's there, and you're not focusing on your team. Well, I you challenge know, that, Reese, because well. I bet you most of those people aren't actually even looking forward. That That's reaction. We're in a shit state, so, oh, yeah. now, what do I do, right? That's, that's what they consider looking forward. That's not looking forward. Now, nowadays, things shift too much. You can't look five years down the road, but you can look a year down the road. Yeah, exactly. And that, when you're in a director role or in a middle manager role, that's what you need to be doing. And you can't get there if you're constantly looking at your feet and managing right here, right now. Yeah, so we talked about this before about um, different styles of leadership, and Teresa mentioned it. How you you need to um, be drawing on your different strengths. You need to you know play the right card at the right moment. And we we devise a holistic leadership. So taking into all of these things and being knowing when to pull the right lever or the press the right switch at the right time with the right person in the right situation for the right outcome. Yeah. What do you think about that idea? No, I love it because I hate it when people ask me what my leadership style is. Like whatever is needed in the in the moment. <laughs> Maybe the only thing you could describe. Please don't make me make a decision like that. I mean, I can't even <laughs> narrow it down to three. You know, seriously. <laughs> your just the consistency of your description may be what I can promise you is no BS. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I don't do fluff. That's the only thing. I speak with candor and I don't do fluff. I, you know, I add a lot of humor into. Um, that's how I make up for my candor and my directness. There's no way that I could subscribe to one form of leadership. I see all these kids coming out of school with their leadership degree and they are so adamant about having to subscribe to this and know this is the way you do things. And it just tells me that all these people that are going in for bachelor and master's programs, they're still not learning the connection skills that they need. It's not about those in their charge. It's about them escalating or being a leader and not actually the act of leadership. You mentioned something earlier around training is a big problem because mm. yes, when we get into training, it is more process driven, technical driven. Absolutely. And or theory. Theory. Yes. Except your training is for me, when I look at it, I'm like, this is self-development. This is what mm. this is. It's connecting people to who they are as an individual. What are your core values? What do they look like in action? How are you going to execute them when shit hits the fan? And stress is high because you've got no skills unless they're stress tested. Absolutely. When the sun is shining and it's all rainbows and the pot of gold is right in front of you, it's very easy to live integrity. But yep. when you are in high stakes and high risk, it becomes more and more difficult to do those kinds of things. Yep. So this level of self-development, of values, of personality is an interesting sell to an organization. I'm interested in knowing the kinds of barriers you come up to when you're communicating with companies. This is the value add of this that they might right. be sort of pushing back at you with the, um, we're going to put the brakes on because we'd rather invest our money in something we can quote unquote measure. Sure. And I, you know, listen, I do come up against that because there is a, there's a lot of people that consider what I do is is woo woo and airy fairy, you know, and I know immediately, I know I've lost them in the first few minutes, you know, mm -hmm. so I'll go about my spiel and then I'll, I'll move on because I don't want, I could say that I want that person because it's challenging or that company because it's challenging, but I'm also going to have that person fighting against me while I'm trying to help their manager. So it's, they're probably doing me a favor. Like I have certain standards to where it's like, this is what transparency is. This is what it's not. This is what working with integrity is, and this is what is not. 
there's nothing worse than somebody trying to espouse something and the words just feel odd in their mouth. There is a standard of goals that we are trying to work towards. But to answer your question, you know, listen, sometimes I do struggle. And, and if I get the eye rolls right away, I know that this is probably not the place for me. And thanks for listening. And maybe they'll come back around. And sometimes you'll get, okay, tell me more. I don't really understand. So I'll have to, you know, give examples of why leading in this way, what this does for the teams. And it's all about understanding what you really do need on your team to your job descriptions, to your hiring, to hiring the right people all the way through the process. Well, in essence, your training helps to solve the major three problems in HR is attracting your top talent, mm. managing through change, like keeping people through change to move through change. And everybody right. is changing like nonstop around the right. clock right now. And the third one is employee engagement. Like yeah. connection drives those three huge HR problems, which are insanely expensive. So right. if you're top tier of management is oblivious to these things or doesn't care about these things. I'm not even sure that's an organization you want to work with in the first place. It's kind of sure. like, if you're not on the same ticket train to the success of your organization that I'm trying to help you with, then why would I want to help you? You don't want to be helped. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think you mentioned change. And I think that's a big thing that I've noticed like in my last experience in my last role, the organization was going through a restructure and I believe that teams that are connected and they support each other, they're able to handle that change much easier mm -hmm. and they're able to deal with it. And it kind of, it gives them people to lean on and to understand and to work through the fears and the, the rumors and all that kind of stuff. Whereas if you have an environment where it's already full of fear and judgment and rumors, well, shoot, change just exacerbates <laughs> it. <laughs> but change is an area that I do talk about with uh, companies. And especially now that change is the norm. Uh, that seems like it's an oxymoron, but it is. Change is the norm. I mean, companies are constantly being bought out being restructured, revamping. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but people usually jump to that if the team's not connected, if the manager's not secure. I mean, it's even worse when the manager's not secure. Mm -hmm. I think that it's just so interesting when we look at the kind of training organizations want to bring in, you know, if they're going to outsource their training or even in-house create it, it comes as sometimes a reactive process. Mm -hmm. Oh, our people don't know how to manage their time. Well, let's do a time management course. You're just yeah. like, yeah, but you're going to have some problems with people executing on that if they're struggling internally. So yeah, please let's speak to us about training and your thoughts around training. Well, I think, you know, you just, you just nailed that on the head. They try to narrow it down into what I still would consider a technical piece, right? Mm -hmm. It's still nothing about connection. And, you know, we have soft skills and we have relationship building, but it's not, it's never a two-way street. It's always what's good for this manager. It's still geared towards getting what is needed for the manager, which is not necessarily wrong but it doesn't allow for the individual to have autonomy to have courage and integrity and, and innovation which is what we really want we don't teach our managers and our leaders how to speak to be heard it means that you need to speak differently sometimes for different scenarios or different people 
-hmm. We don't teach people how to listen. Now I have a friend in New Zealand who's got a new program on listening, which is doing very well. And that just goes to show you that there is a desire for that, but we don't teach people how to truly listen. You know, we're making assumptions instead of actually hearing what the person's saying. Teach them how to have quality debates, how to allow a team to debate a scenario or, you know, especially in project world, you mm -hmm. need, you need the ability for the team to go, no, this is what I think we should do. No, this is what I think we should do. And it not be a situation to where it's a personal offense to people. Well, you have to, you have to really lead that environment because ultimately these two ideas could become an awesome third idea, right? You know, I think the biggest miss though is the, is the behaviors and the behaviors that you want to drive for your team. And, and just as a leader, how to be comfortable doing all of that kind of stuff. The biggest thing that managers do nowadays that they feel that is a waste of time and not important is one-on-ones. And to me, for a connected leader, that's like probably the biggest tool in your tool belt. If you approach the meeting as it's not my meeting, the manager, it's their meeting, the person in my charge, the employee, it's their meeting. They need to come prepared to talk about, you know, what they did really well, how they're doing, where they need help. But I think if you have a well-structured one-on-one, you get to really know and understand that individual. You learn what makes them tick, what body language means for them. I think we were talking earlier, you have to understand what body language means for certain people. So somebody sitting back in their chair with their arms crossed in a meeting, usually people think that means they're closed off. But what if for that person, it means they're comfortable and they feel secure in that situation, they're relaxed. You won't know that unless you actually know the individual. Having those one-on-ones really builds that relationship. And when you build that relationship, being able to correct is so much easier because you're having constant conversations. A simple thing that is like just tossed. I mean, I can't tell you how many managers canceled their one-on-ones to go to some stupid other meeting because they feel like they're too busy. They don't make their people their priority. Well, that's often the case of people use the uh, excuse of I'm too busy when what they really mean is I don't know how or I'm afraid of this or I'm uncomfortable doing this and it's crazy to think that something as basic as communicating one-to-one -one, not even in yep. a group dynamic how that can be misconstrued into a, a problem, something to be avoided, something that isn't actually, like you said, a huge tool in your leadership's tool belt, in your team dynamic, and also for your personal development and that individual's development. Yeah, absolutely. It all comes down to communication. You're using connectedness. I use the word communication. Yeah. has a different word, I'm sure. Um, but it's just something so simple that seems to have been passed over and forgotten and look, overlooked. And it doesn't require loads of training. Mm -hmm. It might require lots of, it might require a refocusing of your perspective or a, a reconditioning of how this can be a benefit to you or to, to the team or even to the company. Uh, it's just simple, regular interaction. It builds up that relationship, as you said, it builds up the connection. And you also mentioned about creating a safe space for people to have open dialogue where they can input their ideas, where there isn't any fear of discrimination or judgment or or any of these kind of things where you can be completely vulnerable you can give your two cents and the manager the boss the CIO will be interested enough to or open enough to actually listen to what you have to say right yes maybe nine out of ten times it isn't going to be productive 
but there's going to be opportunities where you'll learn something or at least your team is going to learn something they're going to learn that new bravery skill where they feel confident the next time it's their opportunity to step up and, and make a suggestion and maybe the next time or the next time right. that discovery is what leads to the breakthrough and i think a lot of times managers view those one-on-ones as, as a waste of time mm. and i think they view that because they're not run very well or they feel like it's their time to say everything they need to say to that individual i had a manager that did that that i go into a one-on-one and we'd spend the entire hour him telling me what needed to happen what was happening in his world very rarely got to talk about me or in the things that i was going through and where i needed help and i remember one day i you know i just looked at him and i said can i have a really frank conversation <laughs> <laughs> and he said, yeah, sure. And I, and you know, yeah, sure. You know, I just told him, I said, listen, here's my approach to one-on-ones. And I'd like to share that with you. My one-on-one with you is not about you. It's about me. I should be expected to come into this room, ready to talk about my accomplishments, my failures, where I need help. And then if there's time at the end, or there's something important that you need to get across to me, then that's a discussion that should happen then. And this is what I do with my team. And this is why I'm so connected with my team. You know, I'm sorry, but I feel like I come in here every time and you're just giving me, hey, you know, the board decided on this and this is the next thing that's coming up and I've got to plan and prepare for it. Yeah, we need to have those conversations, but our one-on-one -on -one time is about, should be about me. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it was received and he did well for the next couple, but then, you know, kind of went right back <laughs> Revert, reversion yeah, to the world. old habits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So these two really golden gems of how to speak and how to listen mm. become really important pieces for all of humanity. Let's just put everybody in the same bucket. I know we're talking a lot about connected leaders here. That this is everyone can be a leader of their own life. So mm -hmm. if I have great conversational IQ, I have the language to be able to express how I'm feeling, what I'm thinking in a way that creates a safe environment for you to then also share how you're feeling and what you're thinking. Right. When, what ends up happening is we become much better at listening because I become more capable of seeing your side of the beach ball. And I've used this a few times that between you and I, in every interaction, always resides a beach ball. On your side of the beach ball are the colors blue, white, and green. On my side are yellow, orange, and red. And until I have the curiosity to go, what are you looking at over there? <laughs> to ask the question. I love that analogy. That's what are you, it's not mine. I cannot remember okay. the gentleman's name, but you can, you can Google. <laughs> the audience can Google beach ball analogy. And the gentleman who wrote about it, that'll pop up and he'll describe it possibly better than I am. So that skill of listening is being able to recognize internally that, hold on a second, I'm really not getting what they need. And all I find myself doing is reiterating what I want and what I need, because I yeah. feel like they're not listening. Yeah. One of us in this conversation has got to give. And by give, I mean, be more emotionally intelligent and just yeah. say, hang on a sec. What is it that you're looking at over there? Help me understand your perspective. Let me ask a few more questions and gain some curiosity around what colors. And if that person has conversational IQ, they'll be able to turn the ball so I can see their colors and go, oh, yeah. that's what you're looking at. And at the same token, increases their curiosity to then reciprocate and ask, what were you looking at? And in the turning, they get to see 
my side of the beach ball. And all of a sudden, instead of us both trying to be right, we begin to bridge this gap that you described as moving from an idea to now brainstorming, to now collaborating, to now being able to give feedback, to now execution. Absolutely. It's the bridge of the gap of all of those things from these two really important skills, which come directly out of the foundation of connection. Absolutely. But I think if you were to break it down even farther than that, the thing that you did was ask probing questions. You asked questions and not yes and no questions. You asked questions that required answers. And that is what kind of got the conversation turned around. And you also touched on what I consider to be people go into meetings with assumptions. You know, they know this person, they know what they're going to say, they know what they're, how they're going to react. And even if you do know that person really well, you still have to listen to what's, you know, I have a thing, like I have a thing on behaviors that is you speak, behave, and listen with positive intent. You speak out with what's going to make the situation or the team better, organization better, and you listen that way. You might not like what they're saying, but you're listening to hear because they're approaching the conversation with trying to make something better or somebody needs to hear what's being said. So I think if you can get the noise out of your head, so there's all that internal noise of, you know, I know where they're going. Well, shut up and actually listen and make sure that's where they're going, you know, mm -hmm. or the internal noise of, oh my God, I can't wait for this to be over with. I got another meeting in five minutes, you know, that kind of stuff. And then actually focus on what they're saying, whether you like it or not, and then ask the probing questions. It's exactly what you said, but for some people, you've got to break it down to the simple steps. But I think listening is huge. And I think we're so distracted. We're so busy. Some of us don't care about the person that's talking, which is a big thing on teams. You know, they've, mm -hmm. they've built a team where they've lost trust in an individual or shoot, you have a team that doesn't trust anybody. Big hurdles to get over can be done, but they're hurdles to get over. So I think this is a huge skill that not everybody has. So it's easy for us to talk about it, but lots of people, they need the, the security and the safety. They come to a meeting, they prepared it. They know exactly what they want to say. They have expectations, preconceptions about what the next person is going to do. Yeah. They don't necessarily have the skill or the experience or the, the teaching of how to then act on the fly. If you're, you go off script and then suddenly they're improvising and they find themselves lost and they're just scrabbling their feet and they don't know where to go. And then they yeah. kind of look and then they're just, it just implodes, doesn't it? And then you just yeah. don't get anywhere. So <laughs> someone, someone the other day was talking about the importance of asking questions, staying curious, and how it relates to connectedness. And he just put it beautifully simply, the ASK should stand for always seek knowledge. Mm. And it's very simple, but it's very on point. And I think it's- Yeah, absolutely. What you just said there. It just provides clarity too. I mean, there's yeah. times where they've said exactly what you thought they've said okay, let me make sure I understand this. Or also, I also have a point where I tell people, you know, sometimes asking questions gives the other person a chance to go, ooh, is that really what I meant? You know, so it's like, I heard you correctly, but I want to give you a chance to correct yourself. <laughs> or I heard you correctly. What did you mean by that? Because yeah. I may have heard you and you could hear me say it back to you and you go, that's exactly what I meant. And I'm still confused because yeah. maybe I'm always listening for positivity. Now, I don't always listen for positivity. It's something I have to mm. remind myself of, especially right. if, you know, what I believe is maliciousness, then I have to ask those clarifying questions on, 
what do you mean behind that statement? Yeah. Where are you coming from with that? And I need them to actually spell it out for me because then what I look for will still be biased by what I think they mean. That was a big area that a hurdle I had to get over as a leader was if somebody's speaking and it's not nice, especially if they're speaking to someone else on my team, I really don't have the patience for it. And, and it's something that I've learned to just let go, let them say it, and then kind of adjust and correct afterwards. But I used to like immediately shut them down. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't talk that way at work. Adjust how you're talking to so-and-so. But I found when I did that, then they would just shut down mm-hmm. and then I wouldn't get a resolution. Sometimes it's better just to let them get out what they need to get out because then what it does is it puts the problem out on the table so it can be resolved quicker. And then you have a side conversation about, okay, this is how you should have addressed it. This is my record or this is my recommendation on how you should approach it next time. Instead of attacking the individual, let's talk about, you know, what the problem was, you know, that kind of thing. And not everybody has the same understanding of what specific words or phrases or or meanings of things. It goes all the way back to the start of the conversation where we talked about behaviors and values. My interpretation of the word integrity may be completely different to your interpretation. And so when you say something, I have a completely different read on that. Mm. And it's only through this connectedness that we both get a better understanding of each other's interpretation, or we have a very big collective talk and we go, this is exactly what we mean. This is what good looks like. This is what bad looks like put it on the wall. These are the post-it notes that explain yes, no, and why sort of thing. Yeah. It comes back to the connectedness. So come full circle. There's also a point where managers, you know, when we, I do the values exercise, there's also a point when managers say they have a value that they like, and then we talk about the behaviors or they say it's their top. We'd go through a value sorting exercise, right? And they'll come down to their top five or six values. And then we get into the behaviors and they, they can't articulate the behaviors that support that value. And then I have to question, well, okay, so is that really one of your values? You know, you know, the leader who says they want transparency, but they won't be transparent. And I think that's a big step in like being able to challenge managers to really get clear on what's important for them and not just saying that, okay, I like these six things. And, and I think a lot of times we go through the motions and, and it's why in training, I get really frustrated when we do a lot of theoretical stuff or it's highly technical, like this is how you work the HR program, you know? I mean, for me, that's not, that's not leadership and that's not, that's not training. And I think, you know, if you don't really hone in on what makes an individual going to be a great leader or manager, you know, then you're doing them a disservice. But I also say that that individuals need to get after it themselves. Don't wait for your organization to do it. So if the organization is not backing you and you just feel in your gut, something's not working or something's not right, reach out, like go learn on your own. There's so much free information Mm. or find a mentor that you do feel is doing the right thing or find a coach, you know, whatever you need to do, invest in yourself. It's my little preach. (laughs) Don't apologize for being passionate about what you're doing. (laughs) You know, it's really incredible whenever we have these conversations and in particular this one with you is that we can not sustain some of these behaviors moving forward they will crash and burn an organization or a team in an instant and so we have a hashtag called not anymore but it's also a question because Mm. we want to be able to help our audience to start doing things differently today so we can't not pay attention to building connection relationships especially when you're in the role of leadership 
And we can't not pay attention to being connected to ourselves first in order to connect to other people and the work that we're doing. Absolutely. So to help our listeners start doing differently, Renata, and being more connected, what might be the first thing you would recommend that they start doing today? Be available. Quit going and hiding behind your screen or your door if, you have, if you're lucky enough to have offices. I used to call it managed by drive-by, but that's probably not a great uh, statement in the U.S. now that I'm back here. So what is it, managed by walking around? I see what you mean now. You manage by walking around. I got it. Yeah, I got it. But I, but I don't think enough people like actually walk the floor. They don't go. I mean, that was a practice of mine every single day. And I learned that from another manager that I saw do it. She walked into the building. She said hello to everybody. And everybody on the floor said hello back. And this, I was on a project and I got moved down to that floor. And I remember popping up over my screen and going, what the heck? You know, so like everybody responded and said hello. So from that day, I started doing it myself. So every time I walked in, I said hello to everybody. And then I would walk the floor. And I think it's the simplest thing to make minute connections in an incremental fashion, right? And, and it does a lot of things. So pick different people on the floor that you can say hello to every day. Don't always go to the same person, you know, say, hello, how are you doing? How was your drive in? And a lot of times you'll see people already talking about a situation. They have a problem. They'll talk to you about it right then and there. So you can resolve uh, issues or answer questions instead of them waiting for, you know, an email or trying to catch you in a meeting or whatever it may be. And on the, allow it to be a casual conversation as well. You know, and I think if people would just spend the first 15 to 20 minutes of their day doing that activity, it's the smallest thing that makes you an available and approachable leader. And I think if people would just step outside of themselves, instead of just running to their office and shutting the door or getting behind their screen, but again, people have to get over that. They have to want to be connected. They have to understand the benefits of being connected. But I think right then and there, that's like the smallest thing that you can do. And at first it probably won't work. I remember, <laughs> I remember the first time my last job, when I said, hello, it was like, <laughs> nobody responded. So after a few weeks, it took a while and then it would be, you know, somebody would say hello, but you know, that's the other thing is don't give up just because you've walked the floor and people are like, you know, if they don't have, if you, if you've broken the bonds of trust, it's mm -hmm. going to take a while for them to open up and want to talk to you, but be consistent, get out on the floor every single day, no matter how much they turn their noses up or turn away from you, keep reaching out to be connected. And eventually somebody will open up. And when that person opens up, then the next person will, and you know. The snowball effect begins. Yes, yes, yes. I love the idea, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your passion and your expertise with us, Renata. Yeah. Also, you know, what's really great is people who are listening may take note of, we need this kind of training. I need this kind of training. My organization, because we're gonna have a bunch of listeners across different roles. My organization needs this kind of training, needs this kind of development. So if you want more, you can connect with Renata via LinkedIn or her website, www.renataporter.com. It's R-E-N-A-T-A-P-O-R-T-E-R. -E -E or email, rp at renataporter.com. Yes. So to end our show, we are going to have a rapid fire Q&A. It's pretty straightforward. We're not a 10 statements, two choices. When you hear the choice, make your decision. All right. Are you ready? I hope so. 
<laughs> All right. right. Manager or leader? Leader. For, well, immediately I asked a question for me, for somebody else. What are we talking about? Leader. <laughs> Doesn't matter. However leader. you interpret it. <clears throat> Active or reactive? Active. Black and white or gray? Learning to be gray. <laughs> Optimist or realist? Realist. Halfway there, and this may be the most important question of them all. Canada or England? What? What, are they in the first match? Rugby World matchup or something? <laughs> no, it's where I'm from and where Reese is from. No. <laughs> we like to play favorites on this show. I'm going to say England, and I'll explain why, if you want me to. Yes. Um, because living in New Zealand for 10 years, I had Englanders always approached Americans very, uh, very easily. Canada, Canadians, not so much. <laughs> oh, oh, I feel that right in my heart. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Okay, number six, heart or head? Heart. Empathy or assertiveness? Ooh, empathy. Introvert or extrovert? Mm. Depends on the situation. Introvert, I guess. Logical or emotional? Uh, my answers are going to contradict each other. Logical. <laughs> Innovation or process? Innovation. What an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for your time and your energy and your wisdom. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys having me on here. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure. And, you know, I just wanted to second Teresa's comment that, you know, your passion for what you do and why you do it and how you're going to make a difference is so refreshing and so absolutely on point for what, why we're doing this show and hopefully what all our listeners are, are going to take away from that. So thank you so much for being on the show with us. Thank you, Reese. Thank you, Teresa. I appreciate it. Yay. <laughs> it's the silent clap at the end. Okay. <laughs> That's where the music will play. And, oh, okay. be, and then there'll be like a, hey, thanks for listening. <laughs> we'll see you next time. And, yeah. So go okay? You think it went all right? I think it was great. Uh, I, there are so many different things you tackled. You could have kept talking for a long time, I think. <laughs> yeah, I just realized at the end that I probably should have talked a little bit better about how I approach companies because I usually do a an, an overall talk with all managers on the connected leader and then I break out to the individuals. But that's all right. They'll find yeah. out if anybody breaks. <laughs> that's right. When people connect with you, you give them yeah, a right. rundown of your process for yeah. sure. Yeah. Give them yeah. A taste when they want some oh. more. Well, I appreciate it, guys. I really. Hey, thanks for joining us on this episode of TNT ESQ with myself, Teresa Quinlan, and my co host, Reese Thomas. It was a pleasure having you stop in and listen. Until next time, keep challenging the status quo.